In the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. Element Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this this is what's good. Welcome back, everybody. Back to regular scheduled programming. Thank you to everybody that participated and also listened to last week's episode. Extremely special one to me, uh, celebrating International Women's Day. But this week is but more of the same. It's just regular scheduled programming, like I said. So uh, don't don't expect that to be special. Uh, just uh, before we start, a couple of shout-outs I want to do. I'm gonna, I'm, I might try and make this a regular thing. Just uh, small ones I'd like to shout-out. Uh, Jussie Smollett, I said I'd give you a lot of an update. 16 felony counts. So, yeah, there's that. He has uh, pleaded innocent. So uh, that will obviously keep uh, keep on going, that, that nice story. Uh, shout to Dave Santan, Dave, uh, the rapper. <laughs> Amazing album, Psychodrama. Uh, I'm finally I'm finally calmed down from my first listen. This to it again uh, recently, and uh, yeah, so it's it's still a great album. It's still a great album. Let's, let's be real, it's still a great album. The first time I listened to it, I was kind of just overwhelmed because yeah, there was a couple of tracks on there that just like that just got me in my feels, just got me deep, like feeling deep. I was just like, man, this is I can't get over this right now. So yeah, I'm I'm finally like you know the roasting the glasses are off and um, I'm you know it's a it's a great album. It's a great album. There are some a couple of tracks that I probably um, you know wouldn't listen to on a regular basis, but you know it's it's a great album nevertheless. Great, amazing debut first album. Uh, and he's and he's younger than me. He's he, I think he's like twenty. He's he's get, he's coming on twenty. That's that's absolutely silly. The fact that he's coming on twenty twenty. 20 years old, and he's doing those kind of albums. Absolutely absurd. And also, uh, Ethiopian Airlines flight, and a flight that killed uh, 189 people. Second crash involving a Boeing 737 MAX 8 in the past four months. So, yeah, I think uh, Boeing might have to do some recalling and uh, do some rigorous checks, because that they ain't, they ain't really on. But for those, you know, that get off on these kind of stories just going like oh i told you the flying's flying's harm harmful you know never fly da, 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 da. um you know you're probably safer on a plane you're still probably safer on a plane than a car uh, according to uh, this uh, according to charter if you if you follow them very, very good follow for um infographics and uh, on charts and loads of things actually politics sports they do a lot of stuff uh, they say uh, the instant, the National Survey Safety Council estimated you have a one in ninety eight chance of dying in a car over the course of your life, but one in seven thousand one hundred eighteen chance of dying on a plane. So, you know those are those those are your odds. Formalities before we begin properly: email, Twitter, IG, Facebook. It's all there in the description. Once again, thank you all for listening. Let's dive in. So, I want to begin with a film and television. Uh, Will Smith. Yeah, Will Smith. Back in back in the news. Well, he's been in the news for a couple of things. Obviously, the cursed meme that is Aladdin and, uh, you know, all that, all, that, all that stuff. That's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about his recent casting as Venus and Serena Williams' father uh, in a biopic about Richard Williams uh, called King Richard. It's uh, sparked a backlash. On the basis of colorism. So let's get into this. This is an article by Zach Scharf of IndieWire. Uh, Will Smith is at the centre of controversy following a report from Deadline that says he is attached to play Venus and Serena Williams' father and tennis uh, tennis coach Richard Williams in an upcoming biopic title King Richard. Spec script for the written uh, for the film, written by Zach Balin, reportedly earned a lot of attention and was picked up by Tim White and Trevor White to produce through their Star Throw Entertainment banner. Smith is also producing through Overbrook Entertainment. The story of Richard Williams is notable as he has no had no prior tennis experience before coaching Venus and Serena, and arguably two of the greatest tennis players in history. Uh, while telling Williams' story may be exciting, the reported casting of Smith in the main role has led to backlash and accusations of colorism. Sports writer Clarence Hill Jr. went on, went viral on social media after bringing attention to the casting, writing, quote, colorism matters, love Will Smith, but there are other black actors for this role, unquote. Clarence Hill Jr. was supported by the likes of film writers Valerie Complex, brackets, she described the casting as colorism at work, 
and George M. Johnson, who wrote, quote, Just like Chadwick Boseman shouldn't have played Thurgood Marshall, Will should not play Richard. Colorism describes prejudice or discrimination of same race people based solely on skin color. Many have pointed out that the obvious that Smith Smith's lighter skin tone does not match Richard Williams's darker skin tone. As Johnson pointed out, Chad Bozeman faced a similar backlash over his casting as Thurgood Marshall. Zoe Saldana's casting as Nina Simone in the biopic Nina was also met with colorism controversy. In that film, uh, Nina darker makeup was applied to Saldana so that her lighter skin tone could match Simone's. IndieWise reached out for Smith's representative for further comment. Uh, one, one more thing about the uh, Nina Nina film. They actually enlarged her nose using a prosthetic, which, if you're going to put that much effort, right, into, you know, darkening Miss uh, Saldana's skin and also giving her a prosthetic nose... You might as well just call off the casting and just find someone better, right? That's 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 what logic says, right? You know, if you if you have to put all this effort into, you know, making someone look like someone else, you know, for a biopic, I just wanna just wanna say this is for a biopic, right? I can stand like you know for stuff like fantasy and you know action films and stuff like that. Obviously, they put in a lot of effort to make people look different. Andy Circus looks, come on, they put a load of effort into making Andy Circus. Uh, look like Planet of the Apes, like that. That that that's the effort that is needed. That's yes. That's the effort. That's necessary effort. Effort such as casting for a biopic, however, should not have that much effort. Like if you put the the only effort that should be put in there is actual casting. If you're putting in more effort in makeup and hairstyling for a biopic than actual casting, you're doing something wrong. Okay, just want to just wanted to throw that out there. On the Overall, just conversation about colorism. Obviously, it's a very uh, deep-rooted issue. You know, uh, some people when they when they when they think about films, you know, they sometimes they 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 see this uh, you know constant conversation about race and representation and inclusion in film and television and all the arts. Really, you know, uh, in uh, in in many facets of the arts, they just think about what I just said, they think about representation, you know, just filling quotas and numbers and statistic and statistical numbers that can be, you know, thought about. Colorism, however, is something that is, you know, under the iceberg, where racism, representation, diversity and inclusion is the surface of the iceberg, excuse me, under that iceberg is things like colorism. And Excuse me again. Uh, I've been Loki and Rios, and I've got a green tea next to me. So, <laughs> full disclosure. And um, yeah, so it is, it is something that constantly needs to be talked about, and obviously, it's something that is rarely talked about unless it comes to conversations such as these. You know, Will Smith. I'm I'm seeing a picture right now on my phone where Will Smith is clearly lighter skinned than Richard Williams. If you don't know who what Richard Williams looks like, just look it up. They're they're about they're about if you give me time I could get probably like five actor five act, known actors right that you have seen somewhere else and I guarantee you like they will they will be a better choice casting wise if you gave me like a day if you gave me a day I'll just hop on Google and just try and figure out names because I can think of I can and when I see Richard Williams I can see five people I can think of like three off the top of my head right now like Dennis Haysbert. Uh, Denzel even could do it. Denzel could probably do it. Um, and uh, 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 what's it? I literally had the other one in my head. Michael K. Williams. Okay, that's three right there. So if you gave me, you know, a couple of hours to think up two more, I could probably do that for you. And Denzel's probably just a weak pick for me. So if you want to take him out, take him out, and I'll think up three more. That that that'll be completely fine by me. There are a lot of act. There are a lot of black actors, dark-skinned black actors uh, that can that have grey beards, and can and can fit Richard Williams's uh, profile immediately. Guarantee you. So. This is this is just another facet of lazy casting, and I don't want to like say that you know casting directors are trash. They can be, but and the, and in this case they are. But this is just late. It's just lazy. It really is just lazy, and there needs to be. I don't. I don't understand. Sorry, I'm dealing with a cold, minor cold. So if I if I you know constantly sniff, then 
bear with me. Um, you know, there's... This, you know, whole thing is so tiresome. It really is tiresome. Like, why do... I don't understand... I, I, okay, I'm not going to say I don't understand why they picked Will Smith. I know why they picked Will Smith. Because it's Will Smith. You know what I mean? Like, if you, if we're talking about, you know, black actors that will get that, that, you know, where the name is everything, Denzel, Will Smith, that's it. That is the entire list. For male black actors. That is the entire list. If you see Denzel Will Smith's name on a film, you're like, hmm, it must be it must be something. Now people are gonna say like, oh Will Smith's film's been shit since Independence Day. <laughs> yeah, we get it, alright. Yeah, funny joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. We get it. Jokes jokes aside. If you see Will Smith's name, you are going to at least at minimum take attention. Like, you know, just just have a look at a trailer or whatever. What is this film? You're gonna ask yourself, what is that film? Okay? And you can also maybe throw in Chadwick and Michael B. Jordan, but that's not because of their, you know, that's because of their recent, that's because of their recent work. You know, they've they've only they've only just become a class recently. You know what I mean? So that's just something worth thinking about. Uh, excuse me, as I charge my laptop. Um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna act like I don't understand why they picked Will Smith. Will Smith's a big name. I get it, right? But but. I always, I will always say this till I die, okay? If you have a great script, if you have a great film idea, not even, it doesn't have to be a script, right? If you have a great film idea, an amazing story, okay? If you have an amazing story, the the star power should not matter. Star power should not matter. It will help if you get Will Smith on a film. Then it will, of course it will help. It will help for sure. It will help on box office. It might help on awards from an award standpoint. I get it, right? It it will help, but it should not be your. It should not be priority number one. It should never be priority number one. Let's get Will Smith on a film. That should never be priority number one. Priority number one should always, forever will be, well, forever should be, story first. Is the story great? Is the script great? Those are the first two. And then you can start building up upon that. Okay? Then you if if that is if, if all the bottom if all the foundations are gravy, right? Actually, if all the foundations are the meat and two veg, right? The rest of it will be gravy. Trust me on that. Trust me on that. There are many films that can do that, that have done that. Okay? Where you know you don't know that you don't know the uh the 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 cast you don't know the cast right you've you've watched plenty of films where the cast does not matter to you but you love it one for me the get down okay the only artist i the, the only actor i knew from the get down was jimmy smiths obviously because jimmy smiths and uh, he's been he's been he's had a long career and shameek moore from because uh, he was i saw him in dope i saw him in a couple of other things uh obviously he's in spider-man now but before then, it was a get down, and before then, it was dope for me. So, you know, those are the only two actors I actually knew about. I never knew about Harrison Gra- Gu- uh, Harrison Gra- Guardiola. Sorry, I never knew about Justice Smith, who's uh, now in the I think the Pokemon, the P- Detective Pikachu film. Uh, so he's in that, and obviously that came off the get down. So you know, there are plenty of TV shows. There, well, especially TV shows actually especially TV shows, but also in films where star power does not matter and the story is what matters and that's what should matter for every single film, okay? This is is lazy casting, it's... It kind of just uh, worries me, is the script trash? Obviously, he's been picked up and respect to Zach Bailey for getting the script out, but I'm just trying I'm just trying to understand why why bother doing this. It's lazy and it just looks bad. And it's already put in a bad, uh, a, a, a black, not a black spot, but like a red flag on the film. Oh, they have to, oh, they had to get Will Smith on it for it to be relevant. That's what I'm thinking right now. That's how I'm thinking about it. And that's how some people subconsciously are probably thinking about it. So, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Hopefully, Will actually hops off the project. I hope he just, you know, says, I, I get it. Colorism, I am not obviously fit for this role from a visual standpoint i will jump off this project i respect people picking uh, uh you know putting me forward to it uh putting me onto it but i get it and for the culture i will hop off it
Moving on. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about some sports. So F1 is be- starting. The F1 season is starting this weekend. It's already begun technically. Uh, there's been loads of uh, hype videos and everyone, the whole all drivers are in Australia as we speak. Uh, you know, doing um, press runs and all that. They're doing they're doing all the stuff that Liberty Media is now forcing them to do. So you know, they've been doing that all through today. And obviously, we have Friday, Saturday, uh, and Sunday to get our teeth. Stuck into the first race of the new F1 season, and I, for one, cannot be happier. So I wanted to get into uh, get into some predictions. It won't be anything, you know, in depth. Um, you know, I've, I've only got a uh, one, two, four here, so you know, it's it's not going to be much, but it's it's something, and just something I feel like. Uh, I feel like uh, doing doing just because you know just some just some loose predictions you know just uh, just throw them out there if they happen they happen and you know the only ones I'm actually going to keep you know probably uh, I'm going to keep tabs on is probably well the first prediction is first race so obviously that will go after the first race um, and then I also have a uh, rookie of the year technically because there are four new drivers brand new drivers coming up from the ranks and uh, I feel like uh, that's worth talking about because you know. Th- F1 is really, you know, sometimes, you know, one or maybe two drivers comes through, but not four. Four for a whole, for a new season? Four, excuse me, four for four completely new drivers? That's rare. That's really rare. So I felt like talking about that. And, you know, they don't do Rookie of the Year. They don't do them, them kind of awards. I don't think, well, they probably do Best New Driver or Best Newcomer or whatever, but um, uh, nobody really cares about F1 awards, um, to be honest, unless it's, the uh, you know, two main titles, Constructors and Drivers. I uh, also wanted to talk about best duo because uh, I found a I found an article read an article recently. Uh, Renault team boss was talking about how they had the uh, best duo, so I just thought uh, I thought that was worth talking about. And also the main one, the one everyone cares about, constructors and drivers champion. But let's get into the first race. So it's in Albert Park, Melbourne, Australia, Australia. Um, I wanted to uh, just uh, just talk about that really quickly and. Uh, you know, the past two years has been Vettel, it's been Ferrari. Ferrari's always had the great start to the season, you know, in the past couple of years, especially when Vettel's been in the driver's seat. He's always just uh, hit the ground running, you know, and from how testing has uh, panned out in the past few, in the past month or so, it looks like it might be the same thing. Uh, it looks like he might get a hat-trick on that front, on a, a multiple first, uh, or three, for three wins in a row at Albert Park in Melbourne. Uh, and you know I'm kind of fine with that. I can't. I can't really. I can't really. You know, F1 is obviously a bit of an unpredictable. Uh, well, motorsport in general is a bit unpredictable. You know, you never know. Just his engine might blow up, or you know, some some crash might happen first lap. You never know. So it's always it's always um it's never a sure thing. It's never ever a sure thing. But um you know I kind of I feel like you know Ferrari is the best car at the moment. Uh, just off testing alone, they look the strongest. And I don't see why not. I don't see why they wouldn't, uh, why Ferrari wouldn't uh, get the dub. So uh, over Vettel over Leclerc for sure. Um, I think uh, I feel like Leclerc will just, um, you know, just first 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 race nerves. You know, I feel like that could that could happen. Uh, if it doesn't, it doesn't. If he wins, that'd be quite interesting. But um, I feel like it'd be Vettel. I feel like Vettel will win the first race. But obviously, we have a whole season ahead of us, and that won't, uh, you know, that that'll be just a. Just a small first blood, you know. It, it won't be the be all and end all of the season. Uh, rookie of the year, or best new driver of the year, whatever you want to call it. I'm just gonna call it rookie of the year because of basketball knowledge. Um, so we have Lando Norris, McLaren, Giovinazzi, uh, oh, nearly said Salba, Alfa Romeo, uh, <laughs> uh, George Russell of Williams, and also uh, oh, uh, where is he? Alexander Albon, uh, Toro Rosso. Okay. So this is more about the. I feel. <sighs> There's two ways you can go about this. So it's, it's like how much the how quality of the driver is, but there's also the car itself. You know, at the end of the day, the car will you know you know the quality of the car will get them the furthest. You know what I mean? Quality of driver will get you so far, as we saw with Fernando Alonso for the past couple of years. You know, when we saw when we were watching Alonso, he was constantly getting you know. Uh, constantly getting into Q2, whereas his teammate Stoffel Van Dorn, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, clearly a low quality, a lower quality of driver, was constantly out of Q3. Um, oh, oh, sorry, co- constantly out of Q1. 
So, you know, that's obviously a driver disparity. That's that's the clearest one you can see uh, in in recent in recent years. So, when picking this, I'm going to pick Lando Norris, but that's partly because of I prefer McLaren's car over the other three. Uh, over over Alfa Alfa Romeo, uh, Toro Rosso and Williams especially. Williams is trash. Williams looks garbage right now. George Russell was probably the best driver out of the four. Uh, you know, going by, you know, past years and GP2 and other years, uh, other because uh, they've all fought uh, at the same time, they've all come up at the same time, so, you know, they've had their battles, and Russell has come up trumps in most of them, so, you know, quality of driver is probably Russell, but McLaren is most likely, from the looks of things, and by, you know, predicting... Because at the end of the day, we don't know how good the cars are going to be from the by the end of the year. I feel like McLaren will be the better car out of the four. I just feel like that. And, you know, since Lauda Norris is behind that wheel, I feel like he will probably have, you know, the most points. I think he'll have the most points out of the four by the end of the season. And that's kind of what I'm just, uh, that's my criterion uh, for, the, for this, for picking this. So, Lauda Norris, I feel like, will be the best rookie driver out of the four uh and then i'll probably say uh i'll probably say alexander alban and then giovanni alban and giovanazzi battling for second and then russell unfortunately with the garbage williams uh fourth so uh, next one i want to talk about best duo so yes this is this is actually part of an article so um uh cyril abitable abitable cyril cyril abitable <laughs> Uh, Renault's uh, team principal Renault uh, said that uh, we could have the strongest driver lineup on the 2019 F1 grid. So their lineup is uh, Nico Hulkenberg and Daniel Ricciardo. Um, while I get what he's saying, while I understand why he's saying it, um, they are quality drivers. They are very high tier, high quality drivers for sure. I still think they are, along with their car, still the fourth best team, okay? Now, we're not trying to talk about cars, the cars particular, we're talking about driver skill, which is fine. If you, if we're really ranking these, right, if we're ranking, like, the top eight, right, so we have Hamilton, Bottas, Mercedes, uh, Vettel, Leclerc, Ferrari, um, Gasly, uh, Max Verstappen, uh, Red Bull, and then Ricardo, Hulkenberg, right? So where we where we put this? So we put in Hamilton first, Vettel second, uh, probably Verstappen third, maybe yeah, probably Verstappen third. Um, then we might throw in Ricardo there, yeah, Ricardo or Max. You can you can toss them up for third for um you, for third or fourth. Yeah, switch it switch it up how you like. I'll probably say Verstappen over Ricardo. Um, just just my personal preference. Uh, so Ricardo fourth for me, and then fifth. Psh- maybe, probably Gasly, probably Gasly, no, actually, no, Bottas, no, yeah, Bottas, for sure, and then, maybe, and then, uh, there's a toss-up between Hulkenberg, Gasly, and Leclerc, right, so, you know, at best, at best, we are saying that Hulkenberg is the sixth best, and Ricardo is, at best, the third best, right, so what does that say to you, that says to me that, yeah, they they have a they have a you know Cyril has a a a a leg to stand on. I'll say that he has a leg to stand on. But I I have as it pertains to Hulkenberg, I have a we haven't seen a drive from him yet where we're like oh he's good oh he's good like going back to the Alonso uh, Van Dorn analogy. Excuse me. Uh, Hulkenberg has been in the Renault. Excuse me again. I drank all the tea, so <laughs> it's coming up. Um, Hulkenberg has had, uh, you know, a good couple of years in Renault right now already, right? And Renault has con- and consistently been the fourth best, the best of the rest. Uh, you know, Championship 1.5, they've been the leaders of that, right? We haven't seen Hulkenberg push the limit. We have seen people like Alonso pushed the McLaren past the limit of where it should be, right? You know, putting the McLaren in, you know, top 10, top 10 finishes, right? That's McLaren. The McLaren have been, you know, frankly, quite low tier 
for the past few years, and Alonso has pushed it to the limit, right? We haven't seen Hulkenberg take the Renault past its limit. He's always been as good as the car. He's never been better than the car. Um, We haven't seen that yet. So I can't say it's the best duo simply because I haven't seen that yet. I've seen Valtteri Bottas do that. I saw him do it a couple of times with the Williams back uh, a few years ago. You know, before he came to Mercedes, I saw him do that. Yeah, for sure. Bottas showed a lot of promise. We actually forget how good Bottas is, uh, especially in the qualifying. He's a qualifying boost. I think he has the most qualifying uh, lap records. I think he has the most qualifying lap records uh, out of everybody in history. So, you know, that's saying something. I haven't seen Hulkenberg do that yet. I haven't seen Hulkenberg push himself and the car to a place where it shouldn't be. You know what I mean? I don't think he has a race win yet. That's something that he should have by now. Or, well, you know, I'll say that, but, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you're going to say you have the best duo, you need to have some race wins under your belt, and I don't see that. I don't see that. So, you know, pound for pound, you can make an argument. You really can if you wanted to, but pound for pound, I'll say no, probably not the best duo. For me, it's still Hamilton and Bottas. Um, I think we really underrate Bottas. I mean, we love the Valtteri, it's James memes. I love them. Really enjoyed them, but let's be real. Bottas is a high-class driver, and uh, from a qualifying standpoint, he's an absolute beast. Sometimes the race he, he lets himself down in the race. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just pure unlucky. He was re- he's been he's had some very unlucky moments over the past couple of years. But overall, I think he's a quality driver, and I feel like Mercedes is the best duo um, at this point in time. Which brings me to the final two. I got my I got the dog on my lap and he's like moving about. It's just something. Stay still. Um, yeah. So we move on to the final uh, prediction, which is the main ones: constructors and drivers. And it is very simple for me. It is super simple for me. And it comes to this one question. Um, it's not that I am picking Mercedes just because I'm a Hamilton fanboy. It's not because of that. You may you, you can think that if you want, but it's not. My question to you is, give me a reason not to pick them. Give me a reason not to pick Mercedes and Hamilton. You can't. You really can't. At this point in time, you can't give me a reason. You can say, you know, uh, Ferrari's car's looking great. I get it. That's fine. You You can give me that argument if you want, right? But we have had that for the past couple of years. We have. Last year, Vettel had Hamilton by the neck. He had Hamilton by the neck. Uh, Germany, it was all his momentum. He was he was streaking ahead. He was going to take that dub in his home race, and the momentum was going to be all his. And then he crashed. And then Hamilton stole the win. And then the momentum shifted, and then Hamilton won it by a landslide. Okay? Give me a, a, give me a reason not to pick Mercedes and Hamilton. You cannot give me a reason. You cannot give me a logical reason why they won't win. That's basically it. It's not. It's, I'm not saying they will win. I just can't think of a reason why they won't. I really can't. I can't think of a reason why they won't. It's, it's just... Their, their quality is just too high. That team work ethic is absolutely outstanding. Total Wolf is a beast. <laughs> just, just physically, he looks hedge, but like he, he's just as a team principal, he is a beast. They got Nicky Lauda there. They just they got some of the they got James Allison, I think is his name, uh, one of the best technical directors. I think it's technical director, technical director. I, I get mixed up uh, from a team name, so uh, team occupation sometimes. But yes, I'm just saying, Mercedes have an amazing team. They have a strong team, locked in. You know, they have no inner qualms. You know, Ferrari have had that. You know, they've they've changed team principle lords and so many times in the past few years. You know, it's not turmoil, but it's, you know, shifting team principle isn't good. It's not, it's not positive. <laughs> it's definitely not positive. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really simple for me. It's, it's similar to, like, Golden State. You can, you, can, you can make a case for Houston, for Milwaukee... And you know, if I'm picking, I would actually, I'd actually probably put money on Milwaukee. I'd, I'd like to do that. Put, put, put a couple of quid on Milwaukee to win the championship. Why not? But 
I can't, you, you can't give me a logical reason why Golden State won't win the championship. You can't. You really can't. They have had these, they've had these L moments for for years. You know, they've done it before. But when playoffs come, playoffs come, they switch on. They're in it, and they suddenly get another championship. Right? It happens. Okay. I can't see a reason why not you wouldn't pick Mercedes and Hamilton to win the drivers' championship. You can't. You can't give me another reason. And that's how. I, and that's why I think so. F1 season beginning this weekend. Looking forward to it. Uh, I'll probably try and I'll probably just come back to it every now and again. Uh, not every race. Not every week. Obviously, uh, got other stuff to talk about. Uh, but you know, it, just a, just a recap and. Uh, if uh, if you know something big happens, then yeah, I might I might I might talk about it. But yeah, it'll be a recurring thing over the next uh, how how long is an F one season? Like six months, something like that. Uh, over the summer, anyway, over the spring summertime for sure. So look forward to that. <sighs> right. So let's get into the next thing. Um, uh, which one? Uh, they're both pretty. They're both pretty uh, not positive anyway. So um, I don't really know which one to pick. I'll probably go with music. Yeah, let's go with music. Um, so I wanted to talk about Michael Jackson, R. Kelly, and just cancelling once again. But I want to make this, you know, more definitive than usual because I saw a, you know, just uh, someone talking about it, uh, and it kind of resonated with me. And I'm trying to, you know, you know, uh, <sighs> Hop off the fence as it pertains to cancelling and, you know, trying to figure out when to, you know, just say enough is enough kind of thing. Um, art and the artist, all that that conversation. So this is uh, one of the best arguments I've heard uh, as it pertains to the artist versus uh, artist art person argument and cancelling in general. Um, well, I think I'm, I've kind of I've kind of definitive on cancelling. Like cancelling is bollocks. Uh, that's that's kind of what I feel about it. Cancelling is bollocks. Like it just to say as like, ooh, um, I decree that we cancel this person and then everyone follows. No, no, that's not how life works. That's not how, that's not how it works. Like not everyone is you. Okay, if you want to do it yourself, then fine. But this is kind of this is kind of um. It, this is an argument that I heard, and it's from Lupe Fiasco, rapper. Uh, if you haven't listened to his work, it's amazing. Uh, really dense, uh, really deep every time. So uh, if you want to listen to him, uh, I urge you to listen. It's uh, one of the best, one of the most underrated of this uh, of, the, of our generation. Uh, he made a great argument, and he posted a picture on Instagram. It was a news article, you know, Michael Jackson's music pulled from radio stations. We've all heard that news clipping. Uh, but he, here's how he described it. Well, well, here's how he talked about it, right? Here's how I responded to that. Every hero has a flaw. Every hero has their time in the sun. We've applauded the films of rapists, danced to the music of drug dealers and drug addicts, possibly one in the same. We've marched under the leadership of adulterers, designed our lives around the wisdom of racists, had the word of God speaking to us by paedophiles, fed ourselves with food that kills us, <laughs> lied to the people we love to keep them loving us, Dressed up like sluts. Let television iPads raise our children and our adults. Believe people we don't know. Michael was, is my hero. He's not my god. Michael was, is larger than life. But he was not life itself. Michael represented creative excellence. But he was not excellent. Michael wowed us with moonwalks and anti-gravity leans. But he wasn't an alien or some supernatural being. With all this, Michael is not necessary. And for that matter, nobody is necessary. Take the parts that inspire and let them inspire. Take the parts that disgust and make sure that we apply the pressure and grace to make sure our heroes never put us in this position again. Championing Michael's good does not mean you also you are also championing Michael's bad. Listening to his songs doesn't mean you are supporting paedophilia or rape. But let's call him to ta- let's call him to task. Listen to the alleged victims hear all sides, and learn the lessons that need to be learned. And he also goes into some a couple of lessons that are in caps, and yeah, there's no, no point in getting into those. But yeah, the point is made, and it's that's kind of how I feel. That is kind of just how I feel. And uh, the way he's, you know, framed it is actually very succinct and kind of something that I was trying to think about. You know, p- 
people, we we all, we, as as like you know, just humans in twenty first century, to get that broad and deep and well, broadly deep at the same time. Um, we consume a lot of garbage. Okay, we we consume a lot of garbage. You know, we watch. Well, not me, not me personally. I didn't watch Finding Neverland, but you know, you guys watched Finding Neverland to learn to learn about the negative side. You know. I I have I have I've had that opinion of Michael for years. So you know, watching Finding Neverland, which I haven't watched, and I have no reason to watch, and I have no you know interest in watching, to be honest, it won't change my it won't change my views of him. It it really won't. Like it it just won't. Just just because you got some people to they were they were like there, um you know it's it's, it's fine hearing their stories, but I get it. I I get it, and my 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 opinion of him doesn't change. Um, the conversation about you know just uh, art versus artist. Um, I've always been that. I've I've always tried to be that person where uh, it depends what the art is. You know, just not all not all. When when you listen when you listen to someone like R. Kelly, right, and they're talking about relationships and love and sex and all that kind of stuff and then he's doing all this freaky not even freaky illegal shit you know (laughs) all this illegal shit you have to feel some type of way and that's when you have to like go okay that's um you know the music's taint the art is tainted okay the art is tainted right but when um when you listen to um I don't know, Michael Jackson's uh, uh, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, right? Just a, just a dance tune. That has nothing to deal with um, children. I love children. You know, if he said that, then sure, you wouldn't listen to it anymore, would you? But he doesn't say anything like that. So, you know, it's kind of that kind of thing. Um, same with, like, people like, uh, uh, you know, Roman Polanski, Woody Allen, you know, stuff like that. I think it really does depend on the art. It really does depend on the art. If Lars von Trier, you know, raped someone, uh, allegedly, uh, and, and, you know, and then you watched, uh, what's that, what's that film? What's that film? What's that creepy film he he did? What's that really creepy film he did? Ah, we watched, I I watched it at uni and it was absolute silly how, like, freaky it was. Um, no, no, Nymphomaniac. Right. If he if he did that, right? If he if you watch Nymphomaniac, just watch part one, part one, because apparently part two is just just goes off the rails. <laughs> part one will give you enough. Um, if you watch Nymphomaniac and then you learn that Lars von Trier, you know, um, just sexually assaulted someone, y- you wouldn't watch Nymphomaniac. You know what I mean? It's not coming from an artistic place. It's coming from I did this place. You know, uh, so. The art versus artist conversation is always ongoing, and it's always a thing. And my view on it, it just depends on the art, honestly. Um, if the art has something to something linking to that, to to the discretion or to the illegal act, then sure, I get it. You won't want to listen to that be- or watch that because yeah, it's not really. It, it reminds you, of, it reminds you of the real stuff. And that's not what we're. That's not what you're listening to music or you know movies for or watching movies for. Um, but back to Lupe's point. You know we consume a lot of negativity. You know uh, what was what was the one um, we we learn about the church from paedophiles. That is legit. That is super legit. Didn't um didn't uh, didn't a pope get like six years recently? I think literally like yesterday or the past week. A pope, or a cardinal pope, got uh, six years for uh, you know kid stuff. You know, so are we are we cancelling Catholicism? <laughs> are we cancelling Roman Catholicism? No, of course we're not. We're not. We're not cancelling a religion. You know what I mean? And we're not going to cancel and uh, uh, cancelling something like that is you know obviously music is a little bit different to uh religion but then again some some people consider music more integral to their lives than religion i feel the same way i music is much more integral to me than religion i don't really care about religion to be completely honest i'm not a religious person not you know don't don't hurt don't hurt my feelings like you know um obviously the 
the the the news item um, uh, certainly um, gets me wow, uh, gets me saying wow. But you know, I'm not a, I'm not a Roman Catholic. I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a Christian. I'm not religious. So <laughs> it's just how it goes. We th- some people are bad as well as great in areas. You know, nobody's perfect, and that's not. I'm not forgiving. It's not, and it's not. And this is the thing: when you say stuff like this, people are like, "Oh, you're forgiving. You're forgiving them for their transgressions." No, you're not. Come on, just think. Just think. Just think properly. All right. We eat. We we eat food, and it tastes and it tastes great, but it's actually harming our bodies. Why do we do that? You know, just logically, why do we do that? Um, so. It, it just it just come it if you just think about it in different ways it just makes you know it much clearer we eat bad food you guys listen to terrible music and watch terrible films and watch terrible tv shows it it, it might for, for me sometimes i watch some i watch reality tv and i my brain actually hurts like my i feel attacked <laughs> I'm not being, I'm not being, you know, over dramatic. I feel attacked sometimes. I'm just watching this stupidity going. I'm like, who the hell is watching this? You know what I mean? And I willingly, I, I just get up and I walk out the room, and that is fine, okay. And if if someone's listening to R. Kelly, get up and walk out the room. If someone's listening to Michael and you feel some type of way about it, get up and walk out the room. It's the same thing. It really is the same thing. Obviously, um, Michael Jackson and R. Kelly have done much worse than reality TV, but you, but you get what I mean. Take take obviously this uh, comparison with a pe- with a pinch of salt, please. Um, so yeah, it's um, I'm I'm I I if I if I hear rock with you, if I hear don't stop till you get enough, I'm gonna jam to it. Okay, I'm gonna jam to it. It doesn't make me any worse. Alright, saying that I'm a fan of those songs, okay? I love those songs. Just just factual, I love those songs, alright? I don't like Michael as a person. I never did, to be honest. Once I once the case in, I think it was like, 05. And once I was like, you know, just... Um, you know, in, as I grew up, I just like, you know, just saw the news clippings and a couple of the documentaries, believe it or not. And I was just like, wow, this is... um. Yeah, this is yeah yeah he's not a good person at all. <laughs> he's not a good person at all. So you know it's it's just how it is. You know, just not everyone. No, nobody's perfect. You know, you, you, everyone everyone gets into religion, even though religion has caused wars over the over our you know species lifetime. But we still but we still get into religion, don't we? You know, if you consider that a negative, if you consider that a negative, if you consider that a positive, if you consider that a positive. It's up to you. It's up to you. Honestly, it's really up to you. If you want to watch reality TV, go ahead. If you want to listen to Michael Jackson, go ahead. If you want to listen to R. Kelly, ah, damn. Okay, but go ahead. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's just that's just how, that's just how it is. There's no such thing. If you want to cancel them yourself, then cancel them yourself. Sure, go ahead. Um, but don't don't act like don't act like you don't throw your weight around on social media. Just going like. He is cancelled, like you're, like you're, you know, like you're King Arthur or some shit. You know what I mean? Just, just go about your business. Just don't listen to them. It's fine. Just, they, they won't miss you. You won't miss them. It's fine. It's mutual. And I find it, and just one more thing. You know, I find it quite funny that, um, you know, people have cancelled Kanye for uh, his political beliefs, but um, they still listen to. Michael and Tar Kelly, so I find that quite funny, <laughs> but but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, with that said, I'm gonna go get some McDonald's. I'm joking. Uh, so let's get into the last. Let's get into the last. Um, uh, last uh, topic: life. And I want to talk about knife crime because I've I found I've you know I've been you know I've been keeping up on the news and uh, the the. This this conversation of knife crime is just getting worse and worse, and it's getting more and more talked about. And I and I'm glad it is getting more and more talked about because it's necessary. So I wanted to read this article in particular. Uh, it's uh, called "Knife Crime Rising More Steeply Outside London." Police figures show. This is by Josh Halliday and Nazia Parveen of the Guardian. Um, 
I'm going to I'm going to read this, maybe not in full because it is quite a lengthy article, um, and it's also additional point by Neem McIntyre by the way at the bottom. Oh, um, I'm I I might just uh, blaze through it, and I will say I'll when I see some things that I feel like are worth putting a pin in, I'll just say let's put a pin in that particular bit, and we'll get back to them. Uh, because there are some there are some sentences here that will just um, help me, you know, build what I want to talk about. So let's get into it. Knife crime is rising at a much steeper rate in the home counties and rural provinces than in London. Police figures show amid signs that the growing use of blades is spreading from city from the cities to the shires. Guardian analysis of official statistics show a forty five point seven percent average increase. In knife-related offences in 34 English and Welsh counties since 2010, compared with an 11% rise in the capital. In the home counties, knife crime has risen by an average of 44.8% over the past eight years. Kent recorded the biggest increase of such crimes in England and Wales, up 152% since April 2010. Police chiefs and experts said the new, uh, the figures were partially uh, partly fueled by gangs targeting new customers in rural areas known as the quote county lines phenomenon, which they said was causing an overspill of criminality from the cities to the provinces. Dr. Rick Muir, the director of independent uh, police think tank Police Foundation, said quote previously the people sending drugs in Margate or Blackpool would be from those areas whereas organized criminal gangs in the bigger cities are exporting drugs directly into those areas unquote the murders of two 17-year-olds Jody Chesney in London and Youssef Mackey in Greater Manchester has prompted police chiefs to demand at least 15 million in urgent funding to tackle uh, tackle what one have one of England's most senior officers described as a national emergency Let's put a pin in that one. Nine teenagers have been stabbed to death in London, Birmingham and Manchester since the start of the year. The number of knife crime offences remains far higher in the major cities, but the increase in 20 since 2010 is steeper in the provinces. Knife crime is up 11% in London between April 2010 and September 2018, but in the home counties, increases are far higher, albeit from a smaller base. Knife crime incidents in Hertfordshire, up from up 89%, 89% 272 offences to 513. Essex, where I live, 43%, 536 to 766. Thames Valley, 43%, 996 to 1,431. Figures for Kent show a threefold increase in knife crime from 346 incidents to 873. Over the eight years, Assistant Chief Constable Nick Downing of Kent Police said the rise was partially explained, partly explained, sorry, by improving uh, improved record recording methods and starting from a smaller figure. However, he said the force would quote not hide away from the fact there have been an increase in knife crime. In the West Midlands, knife crime in the Birmingham police area is up only 3% since 2010, but there was a 42% average increase in the neighbouring provinces of Staffordshire, Warwickshire and West Mercia? Is it Mercia or Mercia? Mercia, probably. Over the same period from 959 offences to 1,363. Staffordshire, the region between Manchester and Birmingham, knife crime has risen 88%, 367 offences in 2010, 689 last year. Uh, super, it says SUPT, I'm, I'm thinking that's a superintendent, or, uh, yeah, probably, uh, Ricky Fields, Staffordshire Police uh, Lead Officer on Knife Crime, uh, said county lines, drug gangs uh, were partly fueling the rise, quote, the correlation we think is attributed to, uh, to is around county lines, urban street gangs, he said, Staffordshire sits on an arterial route between Manchester and Birmingham and some of our neighbourhood areas, have seen an overspill around the travelling criminality and bringing crime into uh, that particular community from the cities, unquote. Muir said, from ca- Muir said county lines county lines gangs were often using children to export drugs into provin- uh, provincial towns, and that evidence showed a correlation, quote, between knife crime, the offenders and victims, and the drugs trade. Let's put a pin in that, uh, that quote right there. He added... Quote, they operate on the basis of profit and the county lines model is more lucrative for them. Violence is uh, then used to either deter or suppress the competition or is being used by criminals to discipline children, uh, discipline people in their own network, particularly children. 
Uh, Muir also claimed there could be a possible link to the increase in school exclusions and the cuts to youth services. Put a pin in that. Um, I will stop there because there are many more, you know, police uh, quotes, quotings to try and explain all of this, which is which is good. The fact that you know they're um, it's actually good reporting from uh, from from the Guardian here. The fact that they actually are getting quotes from you know police chiefs that are relevant, and they're actually trying to give uh, possible reasons why this is all happening, and that's good. So I said I wanted to put up in a couple of things. So let's go back to those. Um, what was the first one? It was uh, fifteen million in urgent funding to tackle uh, to tackle a knife crime. Uh, so. Let's be, let's think about that, right? Fifteen million. That's just urgent. Let's think about how much money is needed just in general. Okay? That's just urgent money. No, no, and going back to the next one, state of emergency. They say this is a state of emergency, and I agree. I fundamentally agree. This is a national emergency. This should be this We're gonna get political at some point, so let's just do it now. This is what we should be talking about. Right, if we weren't doing all this EU leaving stuff, this would be something that would be national news. Should be well, probably is national news anyway, but should be number one priority, along with the NHS, along with child poverty, along with you know police cuts, along with uh, you know youth centres, which is another thing I put a pin in. You know, the, one of them, one of them listed possible reasons for that: school inclu- exclusions and also cuts to youth centres. You know, we see, we sometimes see youth centres as like something that was just, you know, we took it for granted. I took it for granted as you, I, I certainly did. But then again, I didn't really need it because I had a good base of, you know, stuff to do and friends and stuff, and you know, I was fine with what I was doing. You know, that's that's fine. And you know, occasionally went to youth clubs sometimes. You know, I think we all did at some point. But now they're not the, they're not there. So what do kids do? Kids are bored. Kids get bored. I get, I used to get bored. I was constantly bored. I usually just watch TV. And, you know, not all kids have that privilege of watching TV. They have to go out and do something. Uh, sometimes they don't have football. What are you going to do if you ain't got football? Uh, pff, don't know. Play basketball. Oh, there's no basketball court. What are you going to do? At some point, they will have nothing else to do. And gangs will, gr- gangs will uh, recruit them and groom them. That's just how it goes sometimes. And it's very unfortunate, and it's very sad. Um, like I said, it is the national emergency. I feel, I really generally feel feel about that, and it kind of again it pisses me off. This is the this is the entire reason why I just not don't care about us leaving the EU. Obviously, it matters. We forced it to make it matter, but it is all redundant because all this is happening right now right now and it should be accounted for and it all the all the politicians time right now is splitting away from their political groups you know trying to you know create yellow, yellow brick roads for their own careers people grooming themselves for P, for pm when theresa may init- uh, eventually gets ousted you see boris johnson recently bruv got a haircut why do you think that happened cuz he thinks he's going to be pm next Right, it's like, this. This is all. This is all that they're doing right now. They're not doing this EU stuff, you know, simply because it's for the for the will of the people, for the good of the people. We've the people voted. We need to uphold it. You know, they say that, but they're only doing it for political gain, for personal political gain. Right? It's, it's same with the same with the independent group that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. They're not doing it for their. They're not doing it for their constituents in the count in their uh, in their um, in their counties, right? They're not doing it for them. <laughs> they didn't send a newsletter or an email going like, "Hey guys, so for the good of you guys, uh, I'm going to hop off Labour and the Conservatives, and uh, we're going to form our own independent group." That's not, that's not how it works. They they did it for political gain, and that's why they're doing all of this. It's for political gain. You guys may have voted Leave for a certain reason. And that's fine, but the reason why they're doing it now is because of political gain, and it's just because they have to maneuver themselves for whatever reason. It's, I don't know for respect, for just power, power grabbing. That's all it is. 
I'm getting away from the point, but it is very necessary talking about all this because, like I, like, like I said here, and like I agree, it is a national emergency. It should be the first. It should be a high priority thing to talk about, but we can't. But we can't. We can't. It can't be. It can't be number one priority because we're leaving it to you, and that's obviously the biggest priority of all, because it's just it's just a whole clusterfuck. <laughs> it really is just a whole clusterfuck. But knife crime should be, it, and and you know one more thing, it's not a city thing anymore. You know, I feel like you know some people dismissed knife crimes because they, you know, all the news, all the news, uh, media constantly talks about it in the major cities, London, Manchester, mostly. And that was an indict. That's an indictment on the print media and you know and just TV media news. You know that they should have they should have taken this all, to, all into account before. And because of that, because they made it you know a city issue. You know, uh, an urban issue. Oh, oh no, the black kids are stabbing each other in London. Oh, that's so unfortunate. It's lucky I live in Staffordshire. Nope. People dying. People dying. People getting stabbed in your in your ends as well. Don't matter where you are. It really doesn't matter where you are now. Knife crime is a real thing. Knife crime is a thing in your area. So it's, it's a thing in my area now. It's a thing in Essex now. It's a thing in Staffordshire, Warwickshire, everywhere. It's a thing, no matter where you are. You don't have to live in a city to experience what is going on. And what is going on is a national emergency of a high rise in knife crime. And it is interesting that, you know, they keep saying 2010, because that's when the Tory government came in. And since then, police numbers have gone down. Youth centres have been closed. And I don't want to say I told you so, but I kind of told you so. <laughs> so that's been what's good for this week. Sorry to be morbid, but pff, it's how it is. You know, just have to get real. Just just really have to get real with this kind of stuff. Um, but I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed the show, as always. Um, good infotainment, that's what I go for. Go for the information, but also try and entertain as well. Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the show. Uh, more of the same next week. If you want to hit me up on anything uh, as it pertains to F1 predictions, you want to give me some predictions or just uh, talking about other things uh, as it pertains to this episode or also International Women's Day, keep them coming as well. Had some great comments about those last week. I uh, really appreciate that. Really appreciate you guys. Really appreciate you all listening. Uh, this has been uh, from the Fifth Element Podcast Network. I've been Charlie Taylor. This has been Moss Goods. Have a good week, everybody. F1 season's back, boy. <laughs> Take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for staying, everybody. Welcome to What's Good Extra Thoughts, where I talk about some things that uh, I couldn't fit into a whole segment. So I put into this little bit, and uh, uh, I just talk about them. So uh, it all happens in uh, 2 minutes and 50 seconds, which is uh, the exact length of Bookatini MG's song Green Onions. So without further ado, let's uh, oh, start the clock. Where's the clock at? Let me go. Let's uh, get that stopwatch going. Three, two, one, uh, go. So I wanted to talk about uh, two things. Firstly, happy birthday to Common, one of my favourite artists of all time. Uh, top five for sure, and should be top five for everybody, uh, object- objectively. Uh, but I also want to talk about something actually uh, uh, worth talking about. So um, this is an article I found from uh, a talk sport of all places. <laughs> um, uh, it's called Sleeping Giant, Powerful Old Boys Network Holding Back Basketball Talks told and this is something I've hold, an opinion of I've hold, held for time I've hold, I've held for years so this is a this is about uh, you know an old boys network Etonians in government and boardrooms full of white people 
holding back basketball from becoming a giant of the giant of a sport in the UK. It is claimed the allegations against UK Sport and Sport England have been made exclusively to talk sport. Basketball has one million weekly participants in the UK and is the most popular team sport among 14 16 year olds after football. Why don't they have funding? This is this is basically the question of this article, and I'll put in the I'll put in the uh, uh, fifth element article. Uh, 5thlmn.org.uk uh, 52% of people uh, playing basketball are from a BAME background the sport received no Olympic funding from UK Sport for Tokyo uh, 2020 that is a travesty to me this is basketball is the second most popular sport in the world and we are doing nothing nothing for it absolutely nothing for it it is a disgrace and it is something that has been going on for the past 10 years okay after 2012 right they took away basketball funding, and but they gave more funding to equestrian. I repeat, they took away money from basketball, and they gave more money to equestrian. Do you realise how much of an elitist sport equestrian is? Do you really think an equestrian needs more money? Zara Phillips is in the freaking squad, alright? Royalty is in the squad. They have royalty there. And you think they need more funding? Are you taking the piss? Basketball is a poor man's sport. Let's be real. It really is. It's a poor man's sport. If you have a gym and you need a ball and you have a ball, anyone can play. Equestrian, however, is not for everybody. Okay? Not everyone has money for a horse. Okay? Equestrian's fine. Equestrian's good. They got the money. Fuck that funding and give it to basketball. And there are many other sports that have this problem. Badminton also has this problem. It is a disgrace. UK sport should be ashamed. Not from a basketball standpoint, but from most sports going through 2020. Take it easy.